There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1035. Um, if you're going to be in Tacoma, Washington, December 12, 13, 14, I will be performing at the Tacoma Comedy Club. Uh, so come on out for that. Tickets are online. Uh, I think there's still some available, so go on and check it out. Also, we have a bunch of uh, holiday stuff over at ID10T.com. So pop over there and support the podcast that you're listening to right now, which, by the way, let's get into some corkboard business events at ID10T.com. From you, the ID10T community, like Blake, who writes, My friends, Kyle, a visual art director and designer, and Andy, a licensed clinical social worker, just launched a company called Wellmore with the idea to help promote mindfulness and well-being through design. Their first product is the Mindful Planner, a mindfulness-based day planner for 2020 designed to put wellness at the forefront of each day. The layout guides you to prioritize being intentional and present as well as productive and provides space to check in with yourself on how you're feeling physically, emotionally, etc. Prompts for each week include your weekly mantra and scheduling a time for self-care. They did run a successful Kickstarter campaign earlier this year, um, and they've just started shipping out the first run of planners, and he says, I'm really excited to see where Kyle and Eddie take the company from here. Thought it was the sort of thing your listeners might be interested in. Who couldn't use more mindfulness and general mental wellness? You can check out more info and purchases, uh, purchase a planner at wellmore.co. Thank you. Thank you, Blake. Um, this episode is Dax Shepard, who I just have to... Well, first of all, he's promoting Armchair Experts, which obviously I'm sure you know is a massive podcast and also Bless This Mess, uh, which is on uh, Tuesdays at 8.30 on ABC and ABC.com. As you remember, uh, Lake Bell was on just a few weeks back. And um, so here's the, here's the thing with this podcast. It was such an incredibly fun chat. You know, Dax is so um, thoughtful and uh, we and funny at the same time, uh, and I'm sure you probably listen to his podcast, so you probably know a lot of this stuff. But here's where yeah, I'm, I'm just apologizing because we recorded this like a year ago. All right, I know it was a year ago, but sometimes what happens in podcasting is you you, you get an episode and it doesn't have a definitive like must go up at this date. So what happens is you just hold on to it because you just have this fear like I'm gonna run out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to run out of guests some days or I'm going to get sick or I'm going to travel and then I'm not going to be able to record and I'm going to need to post something. So you kind of bank a really good episode for a rainy day. But so many rainy days have happened since then that I just <laughs> just feel terrible. There's only some, a few things here and there that might suggest that, uh, that it was recorded uh, a year ago. But, you know, it. I listen to it. It still, it doesn't, 
it's not, it doesn't seem uh, dated to me in any way. And so I just, from one podcaster to another, whom I know understands. Uh, I'm sorry that this went up a year late. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I didn't, I thought it was recorded like in February. I thought we were only like six or seven months behind. But no, it, it was a year ago. Uh, so, Jack Shepard, I'm sorry, but I love you. Uh, and again, I thought since Kristen went up last week, what a fun time to drop the Dax podcast a week later. They are both just wonderful, wonderful people, and uh, was very excited to sit down with them both a year apart. Uh, so here's the ID Tinted Podcast, number 1035, long overdue, with Dax Shepard. Initiating ID Tinted Protocol. Uh, no. Vincent D'Onofrio? No. I think it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Salt and Sea? It's something... I think it's the Salt and Sea. Is, that, is it just called that? I think so. It's a great movie. But they have a real badger in that movie, and it's significantly bigger than that one. And the fucking claws. That's a terrifying animal right there. It is a terrifying animal because it's... it. You know, like, a big animal you can see coming. Sure. But those, there's something almost kind of slithery about a wolverine because, or a badger because their bodies are long. Yeah. And it's, their center of gravity could not be more advantageous. Yes. And they have that small head, but the, t- the fangs and the claws, they're and to they're be just designed, with. they're just. They're they're efficiently designed to murder. That's right. And anything that could sneak up to you from below the knee line is scary. It's really scary because you can't – yeah. As a young kid, we had a I, – I, to be honest, I don't even know that we ever got confirmation it, it was a badger. But we moved into this neighborhood. They had only built maybe two houses in it. So it was still – there was a field rural aspect to it. And a neighbor kid and I had discovered what we were certain was a badger uh, den, I guess. A big hole in the ground mm-hmm. that we could only explain <laughs> that, it, that it was definitely a badger. Had to be. And we spent many hours at 11 years old with a BB gun leveled just at waiting? that hole. Just ready to defend our property and do you at 11 th- years old. <laughs> not, not knowing that the BB would do zero damage. Nothing, nothing. It would do nothing but aggravate it and probably... Provoke motiv- an attack. Motivate it to, yes, yeah. to attack I was going to leave you alone, but now I'm going to use my hay baler-like body <laughs> to tear through you yeah. like like tissue paper. And especially at 11, that thing would have... Fucking cool. Oh, there's no. Yeah, yeah. You would not. You would not be here. In fact, when the team of forensic 
scientists found the corpses and tried to put together what happened, they'd have to conclude that we came across a grizzly bear or something. At least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, to a child, a badger is a grizzly it's, bear. Yes. You know, to a small... Relative to our size. And was... you would have been obliterated. Mm-hmm. Kristen would have been single her whole life because she never would have found her true love. Well, I don't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about Kristen. I think she she would have she would have ended up uh, on her feet somehow. <laughs> By the way, which is a great. I think it's a very healthy balance in a relationship to know that if things went south, that the other person would be just fine in a week. Oh, it's a really healthy. <laughs> They'd really just threat. be able to pick right back up. They would. Like when I think. I only have so much leverage. She'd sure. be totally fine. Yeah. And it, and it keeps me honest. Yeah, I feel the same, the same thing with Lydia, too. Like, it would it would be... I feel like, logistically, mm-hmm. it would be like if someone bumped into her and she, like, dropped a Danish on the ground. Like, oh, all right, let's brush this off and just go get another Danish. That's right. But but, but for you and I, it would be... We'd, we'd be like... Uh, we'd be in the trauma unit... <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and my saying about her is uh, is uh, uh, downward and backward. Mm-hmm. You know how most people yep. say upward and onward. Mine yeah. would be downward and backward. <laughs> Back and to the left. Although the one thing I would have going for me is that I could certainly still date uh, a mid-20s person. You think so? Wa- yes. That was like, you know, um, maybe uh, – un- Unsavvy, mm-hmm. uh, didn't quite realize what a bummer it was going to be being married to me. Just because they don't have enough world experience, <laughs> like I, I still could get by on the um, kind of tricking somebody, you know, or false advertising. Hey, speaking of advertising, you're wearing an armchair expert T-shirt, a live one, which is a great. That is a well-designed shirt you're wearing. I like the color. It's sort of a burgundy color. Thank you. It's got a nice weave to it. I've matched it to my shoes, too. You ha- you have matched it to you, your shoes. You know what's interesting about me is I dress like a, a hobo, yet if you really take some time and study what's happening, there's actually thought behind it, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, embarrassing fashion, on some fashion level. Fashion hobo. Yes, I'm a fashion hobo. Yeah. Fashion forward hobo. Um, but yeah, Rob, one of, uh, one of the two producers, he designs the sh- unique shirts for each city we go to live. And I love them. I feel a little weird about wearing a shirt of something that I'm, you know, involved with. You think that's weird? No, I have a singled out glass that I drink out of sometime. But don't you think that one is even, that's almost like a meta. It's retro. It's meta. It's um, self uh, deprecating in some way. There's a, you know, there's a vintage t-shirt site that I go on every once in a while. And there was a really cool 80s satiny MTV jacket with the MTV logo on the back. And I was so tempted because I felt like enough time has passed that it would be okay. Yes. But I, but then at the end of the day, I still just couldn't bring myself to... Well, and I want to talk to you about this. Because Please. as I walk through your house, which is beautiful, truly beautiful, you do not, you've not gone overboard, but there is certainly a lot of memorabilia in this house. And props from things and mm-hmm. old toys you liked. Yes. How does one like yourself or Seth Green govern? How do you how do you prevent yourself from being like an episode of Hoarders, where it's just wall to wall toys and Star Wars paraphernalia? You Is get it hard a storage you? unit. <laughs> okay, you, so you don't stop yourself. <laughs> you parse it out. Well, I'm the one. I was. Uh, uh, I was kind of. I was working on a. I was kind of building a joke that actually was a real thing that happened. Where I said to my wife, because my wife is actually kind of 
a little worse than I am in some aspects with the collecting stuff. Like, I buy a lot of little things, mm-hmm. but she'll, you know, like a box will show up and it's like, oh, and there was a Rick Baker auction. So I got this gremlin and I said to her, sweetheart, if you don't stop buying horror props, there's not going to be enough room for our vintage taxidermy. I said that as a legitimate <laughs> sentence yes, and yes. then had to stop and realize what a perfect relationship this is, that I was with someone who didn't say like – Keep your dumb nerd crap in another house. But actually, so we kind of have to govern each other a little bit. Yes. Because Lids will go off the – she'll go off on tears. But then, it's – a little bit sounds like two co-pilots, both with bad eyesight. Well, or at least that we have good eyesight, but we both have peripheral issues. Okay, okay. But on different sides. Yeah, you're only seeing the left. She's seeing the right. Together, you have stereoscopic vision. That's right. That yeah. Together, yeah, we need to find each other. To get that bilateral, but vision. it is fun. I mean, it, it's you know because my 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 theory about all this stuff, and particularly with the last giant Disney auction, um, that uh, I love that you say that as if everyone's aware of the last great Disney <laughs> auction, or that there are even well, Disney there was auctions. there was just a massive one because um, okay. uh, they're in financial. No, 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 no. <laughs> just this this guy, this guy named Richard Kraft, who's a lovely guy. Um, oh, a privateer had been. Privateer. Okay. He he had been collecting for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, like one of the the largest, probably the largest single private Disneyland collection. Okay. And he had some amazing stuff. And he just sold it all because he was like, it was just time to get rid of it. But he had a ride car from all the rides. From oh. each ride. He had the, all four stretch paintings. He had, um, you know, just... He had like a fucking tugboat from the um, the mar- you know like the river. Mar- oh, oh, the river uh, yeah. cruise. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he he just he had a ton of great stuff, and he was just like, yeah, it's just time to sell. And you know, I think he raked in like seven million dollars. Seven was, million bucks. The, the auction was nuts, and the reason that I say like a lot of people watched it because it was so crazy. Wait, it was televised. It was the li- it was live streamed. Uh, okay. Yeah. And um, you were glued to were you- I was glued to it. I bought I bought a couple things, but nothing massive. What did you buy? I bought um Mark Davis was an imagineer and he I bought original sketches, concept sketches of Disneyland, and they were assembled in like five panels. And the reason that they were assembled is because they were um, given to the Los Angeles Examiner right before Disneyland opened to sort of show like what was coming. And the Los Angeles Examiner was owned by my wife's great grandfather. Oh. So I thought it was like a cool piece of Disney and Hearst memorabilia to bring home. Yes. So I bought that and a couple small things. But there were, there were, fu- I mean, like it, the Disney collection, the auctions for it, it's gone so off the deep end because you're bidding, a, you're bidding against. Wealthy nerds from all over the world. Okay. And so there were like, you know, blue bayou menus from the 80s that were going for like five grand. Like a fucking menu. So other pieces went for two, three hundred thousand dollars. What was the the crown jewel in the collection? I think the thing that we have like a steam powered railroad. He didn't have that. He had a Dumbo car. He had like a Dumbo, like one of the Dumbos from the Dumbo ride. Sure. And I think that went for like three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, it was just fucking bananas. And do you have any awareness or or idea of who's bidding? You don't. That's all anonymous. Well, some people like uh, uh, Drew Carey was there bidding on some stuff in person. In person, where was it held? The auction was uh, done by Van Eaton Galleries, which is a place that I bought 
you know, a lot of animation sells from and a lot of the Disney memorabilia came comes from there. But there are a lot of like how many people were there? Were you in there in person or you know you we were, were watching, watching on the live stream. We okay. were watching on the live stream and it I was glue it was fascinating. But Drew Carey needed boots on the ground. He needed to be Drew there. Drew was there to and, inspect and he got some good stuff too. And Drew um won we uh, he won the auction to spend a day at Disneyland with the guy Richard Kraft, and so he invited us, and so we went, oh. and we got to go, and all, and we all sort of shared weird, obscure Disney trivia, like walking by different places, and he would point out stuff that I'd never seen before at Disneyland, and oh. we all shared stories about things. It was it was an incredible one of my favorite, probably my favorite trip to Disneyland ever, because there was so much. It was like a historical thing too. Yes, and we went up to we got to see Walt's apartment. Walt has an apartment apartment above yes. the fire station. I'd and never been, and we all got, got to, to go up and see it. You got to go inside, yeah. yeah. And he would sleep there, yeah, pretty often, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. It's just this was just tiny little. And so uh, yeah, th- there's like so you and I have several friends that are really into this stuff, and I I think it's fantastic. Um, but there is always just a little cynical element in my mind. That is, okay, you create this imaginary place and then you're living in this imaginary kind of apartment and you're looking out the window and you're watching people. There, there's something about it that is a little kind of puppeteery or something. <laughs> uh, uh, do you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, listen, it's, you know, everything in moderation to yeah. a degree. Uh, but even though it seems like we don't practice that, but, uh, but you know, is there anything kinky or perverse about like, cause I heard he would like often gaze out the window and watch people enjoying his creation, which of course is beautiful and seems altruistic, but is there any part of it that seems perverse to you? Like controlling in a way? I don't know. I just think, you know, like, like you've basically created Westworld and well, you're just, like, well, the, well, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> You know, and they're all going to go sideways, like in the Simpsons. And you can almost, you can almost like, uh, you can engineer an experience, which is a weird godlike. But that's the thing, though. Like that's what you're doing when you're doing stand up or writing or creating any kind of. Yes, and I'd be the first person to say that we're weirdly perverse and so to build a life size, like a world, a life size diorama that people can go, (sighs) you know, like live part of their lives in. Yeah, I mean, I completely understand why that would be like that kind of immersive. Yeah, art art experience. I guess it's just a broader question: if if people and commerce. Can, and can people create with that level of passion and drive from a place of just altruism, or is there like some damage? Is there a damaged young Walt Disney who needed that safe place? Like it's you, all kind of compelling maybe, to me. Maybe, but it doesn't take away from anything. No, I'm just curious. I, I think anyone who who creates anything on a big scale or wants to be a performer or wants to do that. I mean, I think there's probably traces of you know broken glass somewhere in their past because you know. It, I mean, I think trauma or bad thing like anything that gets you to grow and expand Let, let's just say minimally if your life is a 10 your need to create an imaginary place where you feel good and life is fun is just way deprioritized but right? i think it's even bigger than that because if you meet you know when i look any of us who were performers who look back on our childhoods and you know whatever sort of problems we had at school or at home or whatever for me it was like you know, just like getting bullied in school for playing D and D and shit like that. It, you know, if I hadn't had that experience, if I hadn't had like a kind of a traumatic school, yeah, then I never would have 
gone inward. I never would have thought to create. I never would have strived to do. Because if you, you know, people who peak in school and they're just happy and everything's fine and it's great. Maybe they're happy and maybe that's, you know. Yeah. But But I think a lot of them aren't really conditioned to go like, well, maybe I can make more. Maybe I can create, you know, like well, again, build something yes. bigger. What, what, what would be the incentive? What would be the desire? You're not escaping discomfort. That's like why the great motivator generally is escaping discomfort. And that's why, you know, I, I, I pulled some quotes aside. I wish, which I were, don't normally do, but I pulled some quotes aside. Can I tell you what I wish you were doing? What is queuing up a song you wrote about this? <laughs> <laughs> like when you just opened that computer, I thought, well, the worst thing that could trauma right leads now. <laughs> to the best times. Trauma leads to the best ever times. Um, oh, so yeah, right. so so here's a here's a quote. Uh, here's a where did I where did I put it? But it's, uh, Wait, I, you've assembled quotes in preparation for me being here, or just in life you've assembled some quotes? I assembled a quote in preparation for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> To, to discuss. Okay. Because I think uh, here's a sen- here's a quote. Wait, before we move on, though, are you going to take us in another direction? We're, we're branching this- off of where we were. Okay, but before we branch are you, off. Are you trying to steer my podcast I because am. you're a big podcaster now? No, 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 no. Just, I've always been arrogant long before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do wonder for you and for Seth and for a lot of folks that collect things. Um, I had this experience where I walked into one of my best friend's garages. He's a successful producer. And there was this GT bicycle in the garage. Now, this man is 48 years old. He is never going to ride this bicycle. But it immediately, my heart swelled like the Grinches three times. I was like, where, where did this GT bike come from? He's like, buddy, I saw it in a window. And I was like, that's the bike I wanted as a kid. And I got it, and now I have it. And we both just stared at this bicycle as if it were like the Holy Grail. Sure. And then we started just kind of thinking about, it's interesting, like, as a kid, you want all that stuff, right? And if you don't get it, as you get older, you're finally like, oh, I can now have all that stuff. And many of us get to accumulate some of that stuff. Or yes. even we transfer it into cars. Or and then tra- you get it. And then you and then some people suffer depression afterwards because they think the acquisition of that thing is going to fix them somehow. So I think you, or that they'll get the feeling they wanted in and elementary that's, school. That's fleeting. That's yeah. fleeting. So it really is about shifting your focus to no and what I was going to say earlier is that we're just curators of this stuff now. Like, it's fun to collect it all because the sum total of it creates a fun story. Uh-huh. And the acquisition of it is fun. Yeah. As objects, it doesn't define us. And it doesn't, like, if I lost, if, I, if, if we had to get rid of all of it, yeah, it'd be a bummer. But I don't, but it's like, well, we live. Like, you, it'd be fine. And you had the experience And we had the experience. Hunting for And so it. I feel like we are just curating these things for a while, taking yeah. care of them. So when you think of yourself as a curator and uh, and and less as like I'm an owner and more of like we at this particular period in the time stream are just taking care of these things that yeah. are that are relevant to us in some way and I trust and will, you with and them. That's They're right. Better in your house than mine. And we will pass them along to someone else at some point. But you know? it is a curious thought of how we tend to try to recreate the childhood we wanted at all times when we've got the means to do so. Yeah, but and but I think like ultimately really growing up is making peace with that kid. Mm-hmm. Uh have you ever done have you ever done EMDR? 
it's a form of therapy that is like like people with PTSD. People immersion, with is this immersion therapy? What it's is? not. I don't think it's called immersion. Okay. Th- I mean, I don't think it's the same as immersion therapy, but I might be wrong. But okay. basically, you know, anything that you're working on, like, mm-hmm. um, oh, I want to, you know, I feel insecure when I meet new people. And then mm-hmm. the therapist, like, you, it, it seems silly but you put these things in your hands that vibrate at different f- in- intervals okay and the, th- the i guess the theory behind it is that you're sort of rebuilding neural path neural pathways okay. and so they'll say you is know it's not vaguely related to how you get audited in science <laughs> no i say that sincerely <laughs> well this didn't cost fifty thousand oh, dollars okay okay so uh <laughs> uh and so they'll say like what's the first you know the earliest memory you have of feeling this way and then so you dredge up you know I had this experience where it was like about perfectionism mm-hmm. or what, what, you know, what, what's the earliest memory where you felt like frustrated that something wasn't perfect. And I, I started telling the story like, Oh, when I was a kid, you know, my dad was a professional bowler and I bowled as a kid and I st- and then I stopped and I burst out laughing and the therapist said, Oh, what's so funny. And I said, well, we're talking about perfectionism. I said, what do you call it when you get a 300 in bowling? And she goes, oh, it's a perfect game. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so this game that I was conditioned from, from earliest childhood. There actually was a perfect. There was a, like, unlike most sports. Or there, anything. There is a perfect goal. And if you fuck up anywhere in the game, it's ruined. Yes. And how frustrating it is. And so. If you're in pursuit of a If you're in pursuit of a If you just want to buzz and to meet some other divorcee. Well, that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> you're why are you, why are you doing it? You know, like how do you define success? And so, yes, yeah, so that's – it's sort of like it, the goal isn't really the goal. The of process is the goal. Yes, yes. What Which kind of gum takes, are you two? Is it uh... – No, those are um, um, nicotine lozenges. Oh. So I... very trusted brand, Thrive, from Canada. The American ones give me gas. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, but these, no farts. Not, none at all. No, nope. I, I got Thanks, them on Canada. a press tour in Toronto, and I've never looked back. That was probably three years ago. And you, so you don't smoke? No, I haven't for thirteen and a half years. But you have you been doing nicotine gum or for plastic? eleven of those years? I did. I did go off them for two whole years, and then I found literally four in an old. Um, uh, nightstand and I, I told Chris and I presented it as if I had found like a bag of cocaine in the house mm-hmm. and I was like okay hun so I found four lozenges and uh, I'm going to do two today and then I'm going to do one <laughs> and tomorrow then, and one the next and day and then 10,000 over the next and, and I like pitched that to her and she's like yeah okay because as can happen if you're not an addict it's hard to comprehend how that's not possible for right. me because it sounded like I had a great game plan yeah. and I did yeah and then after that last one on the fourth day, I was like, hmm, go up to Rite Aid and get 168 of them. That's exactly what I did. And no, that was it, so it's five not, years ago. It's not unhealthy at all to. It is not. And I'll tell you, there is some compelling evidence that there are some benefits of nicotine. Now, what is unhealthy about nicotine is it does raise your overall, your heart rate and your blood pressure. So if you are someone that is prone to hypertension, it's not good for you. I have low to moderate blood pressure, so that's not an issue. The upside is there's a few studies that show it prolongs the onset of both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, you know, I look at it as like kind of a, a So vitamin. it's a win-win. It's you a get, vitamin. It is. It's a daily vitamin that, <laughs> that you take 12 times eight to a ten day. times. It's a, 
12 times. Can you imagine if you bought a vitamin, you read the back of it, and it said take 12 times daily? What the fuck? <laughs> take every 45 minutes. Are you sure? Day. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it said. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would go, well, no, that's crazy. I'm not going to commit to this. It just it said, yeah, <laughs> take 12 times a day. Uh, administer uh, liberally until buzz wears off. <laughs> yes, until agitation <laughs> resumes. <laughs> And then uh, pop a couple back. <laughs> so here's here's a quote from Seneca. Here's a quote from Seneca. Who's Seneca? Seneca was a, a philosopher. Okay. And uh, in the is in the, in, in, the realm of, in the realm of stoicism, and he said, "I judge you unfortunate because you have never lived through misfortune. You have passed through life without an opponent. No one can ever know what you are capable of. Not even you." Mm. Which I think is a nice quote because basically, it's that idea of like. You have to fuck up and you have to go through things in order to grow and evolve and be better. And if you don't, then I think you peak in high – you know, you, which is – again, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if you don't – you know, if you don't have the nipping pterodactyls of neurosis at current your feet. culture, we have to say everything's fine. Like, yeah. look, if you, if you peaked out in high school and now you're an alcoholic and you're nearing death at 48 <laughs> from health decisions and you left your wife, that, that's fine. You're fine. That's fine. We're no judgment. Because one person will be like, hey, I'm 48 <laughs> yes. and I peaked early yeah. and I had serious abu- <laughs> substance abuse problems and then my wife left me. And, yeah. fu- and how dare you? Yes, we're no longer uh, allowed to be any, any turn objective about what could or be not be a, a more uh, – uh, a life with less suffering and more flourishing. Well, now, and I'm sure now that you're learning more. Well, let's talk about this because no, let's talk about the quote. Let's talk. I, I hijacked you. Let's talk about. I like this quote. Okay. Okay. So what I want to say about that quote is yes. A lot of people are impressed with people like you and I who came from modest means and accomplished something that is societally seen as you know. Impressive. You mean uh, marrying outside what we should have been capable of? Well, certainly, yes, outside of our cast. Yep. But um, uh, what I find to be three times as impressive as that is the, the rare occasion when I meet a legitimate trust fund child who has accomplished a ton of stuff and mm-hmm. is super motivated and driven. Yeah. Like when I look at Julia Louise, Louise mm-hmm. right? I Julia Louis right. Dreyfus? Julia Louis Dreyfus. She is heir to the Dreyfus fortune, which mm-hmm. is in excess of a billion dollars. So when I watch her on Seinfeld, I go, wow, not only is she, I think, the funniest female actress ever. I mean, she, I'm so blown away with her talent. But then I go, on top of that, she didn't have to do anything. It's, well, it's so also, impressive. But, you know, that idea of when someone has money, they don't have to do anything is bunk. Because people, you'd go crazy if you didn't do anything. Like, we are... We are born to do things. Yes. Because we have... And when people don't, then they become rudderless. They become depressed. They become... You know, it's because we have to contribute. Like, we need this idea. It's like, well, why does this guy have to keep working? He's got money. Or why does that lady... It's like, they're not working for money. You know, it's like people are working to... Self-esteem and productive. And And she, you know... But that's that's so much money that it's almost like no money. But 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 I just think it's it's a lot easier for you and I who, uh, if not now, at least at one time, wanted all the tangible shit. Like, I want a house. I want a car I like. I want health insurance. Whatever the thing is, like, I had a very... A hot furnace inside that propelled me because I wanted shit. And I just wonder if I had all that stuff, just how driven I would have been. Like, I certainly was in pursuit. Now it's evolved and changed, and I've 
now realize those things I wanted didn't really fill the hole or give me the contentment I was looking for. But for many years, I was convinced a speedboat would cure all my owls. You know? Well, yeah. And, you know, Lydia's family, like when she was growing up, they, you know, it was like, you're not going to turn into an asshole. You're going to work. You're going to work. And so, like, she worked her ass off and created all this stuff and yeah. you know we're, you know and it wasn't but you have to begin you have to be crazy mindful if you're starting with tons of privilege and advantage to get that outcome right you you can be a terrible parent and have a kid that's just driven and hungry and wants all the shit that they don't have and they'll do fine it's but all... it takes an extra i think an extra dose to turn a kid out who's rich well but any any you know all humans are just a weird chemistry experiment and some of them go right you know with seemingly uh incorrect ingredients they go right and something someone who seems to have all the correct ingredients can go you know can explode yeah so it just we're just all weird chemistry experiments and it you know it's like there's so many things that go into a person well that's why we can't discover a single thing about what makes us healthy it's almost impossible to figure out what makes humans healthy because we're the worst things we're the worst subjects in a science experiment because there's so many things we're doing. There's so many things we're eating. There's so there's so and much we, happening. We want, we want an answer of just like, oh, if we just take this thing, are beans good for you? <laughs> you know, but, but, but <laughs> yes, no they one... are. And then a year later, it turns out beans are not. <laughs> yeah, no, they're but, good again. Unless you're going to sequester like a thousand human beings and make them only eat beans, you just can't find out the answer to that question, right? Or just even the notion that we, up until very recently, you know, that they did not do clinical trials with females. Did you know this? I, I had no idea that this no. was. A, it was a sixty-minute segment, which was fascinating. What they started. Thank you for adding. Thank That's you, Fred clock. Morris. That's the clock. Um, Women were having this uh, inordinately strong reaction to Ambien, which was curious. They were at a much higher rate blacking out, going to the store and buying candy, all these weird things that are now associated with too much Ambien. Right. And what they figured out is that women, for whatever reason, chemically react twice as strong as men do. So their, their dosage has to be half of what and a so man did no clinical trials? But they trials? didn't know it because they don't do clinical trials with women because... The long-standing explanation is that women have a period once a month, which makes them bad test subjects. That w- this is w- which industry is this? <laughs> the, med- the medical research field historically doesn't use women because they have a period. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's now being changed. But there's all this medicine what if that's never been period medication. <laughs> what? Testing on I t- dudes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had a period in like uh, 35 years. Yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> it works. Yeah, presumably they've been doing female-only products with females. And how but, horrible is that for these these poor women who well, thought? Well, the, the, their defense, and again, I'm not def- I'm not uh, I'm not saying they were correct, but what they would say is, okay, well. If you're monitoring things like mood and what's the reaction, so there's going to be a few days of the month where their mood is going to be altered by their menstrual cycle. So that you're, the data there is kind of blown. They're also bleeding for a few days of the month, which kind of throws everything out of whack. I don't think the, the founding argument was preposterous. I just think we now realize that we can't have it that way. I mean, still, it just sounds like a thing created by, by, by the dudes. patriarchy. <laughs> well, yes. But why wouldn't the patriarchy want to study women? I would way rather have a group of a thousand women I'm studying than a bunch of dudes. I don't know. It, you I, think their own selfish motive would be to be surrounded by women. And then, so then what happens at that point? Are they just like, 
Oh, so sorry for all the weird yes. blackouts? Virtually, that's Ladies, what happened. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, I can only assume there's got to be some class action shit because I know different. I have females in my life who are like, I woke up and I, no memory. I went to 7-Eleven. I have like 12 Twizzler Empty that to me is that to me is more horrifying than being stalked by a wolverine is is waking up with time with, that you can't account with clue, for. but with clues <laughs> laying yes, around. It's like memento. Yes, exactly. It's like where did this fun dip come from? Yeah, and why do I have half opened beef jerky? This punch ticket from a county fair. Why are these slim jims <laughs> in the microwave? What happens? Yeah, that's very scary. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that. Which is why. You know, I don't really, I don't take anything. I mean, I imagine you probably don't either. Yeah, uh, so I never did. I had a very, very strict rule about, I didn't want any Ambien, um, Xanax, I would never want a, a prescription for. But this year, I started doing a sitcom where I have a live audience show on Friday night. And I already have a horrendous time falling asleep. So for me to get to bed on time, I got to start my little routine at like 9 o'clock at night. And right. all these things have to fall perfectly in order for mm-hmm. me to fall asleep. So now I'm doing a live show that I get out of at 10 o'clock at night. And I probably drank caffeine to be awake for the live show. And then the show itself gives me tons of energy. And I come home like best case scenario, I'm winding down in six hours, which is a that's a deal breaker. I have two little right. kids that wake up very early Saturday morning. I can't have that. So as, an, as a supervised experiment, I tried Ambien, and my wife is in charge of the Ambien to make sure I only get one Ambien. Mm-hmm. And it did put me to sleep in a, in a good short period of time. But then my problem with this is I just wake up four hours later, and mm-hmm. I'm wide awake. Right. And I, what am I going to take, a second one midnight? Right. So in general, no, I don't take anything, but th- that's I want to be honest and say I have on show nights this last year, and then also a couple times where like I get out of the show, I have a live show in Brooklyn the next day, and I know I have to sleep on that airplane for five hours. I, get, I have my wife send me to the airport with one. You know, the other, uh, the other solution is to uh, maybe just take it easy every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, what am I, but let me ask you this, though. I, I, yeah. You're right. I could quit this TV show. Well, that, that you love. probably aren't going to do. I'm not going to do that. No. Yeah. So like any other lazy American, I'm going to look for a pharmaceutical solution of course. to a lifestyle yeah. issue. You're going to look for a pharmaceutical <laughs> to, to mash that square peg into the round hole of your life. That's right. And on the 15 shows last year that I employed that method, it kind of worked. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. So let's find let's, – let's talk a little bit about, you know, because your podcast uh, completely exploded in the best way. Um, uh, really hard for me to uh, comprehend. I mean I remember when we were talking honest. about it. I remember doing it in a half-built garage. Well, it's still there. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I and, hope it will always be there. And uh, – You gave me great advice that and, I used. And, it, and it's, it's – you know, and I, I am jealous – I mean, I get, I get how you got him, but I'm jealous of Ted Danson. Ted Danson is a dude 
that I've always had on my list of like, I fucking want that. I've been watching every night because I wake up in the middle of the night too and I watch an episode or two of Cheers. Because you don't have kids. I don't have kids. Again, if I didn't have kids, I'd write out all this shit. <laughs> but it is not an option. You cannot deal with a three and five year old on four hours Why sleep. Why don't they appreciate that you have needs? It seems very selfish They're to me. They're 20 years away from recognizing me as a human being <laughs> if it ever happens. If, it, if that ever happens. I'll, I explain stuff to them all the time. Like my three year old will literally kick me straight in the fucking nose intentionally. And I'll go, honey, daddy's a human like you. Like, there's a limit to how much pain I can endure. So how do you... I mean, obviously, <laughs> you you have to... Kick them back. <laughs> Daddy can kick hard, too, it turns Hammurabi's out. code, eye for an eye. <laughs> nose for a nose. <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes. And now it's never happened again. It's never happened again. Yeah. But how do you, how do you discipline a child when they are... When they're not just testing boundaries, but, like, smashing windows to try to understand, like, what's okay and what's not okay. Well, look, I don't have it figured out because I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of it. Mm-hmm. And there are techniques. Which, which, what compounds the frustration of raising children is that I have two of them, and they, they require two entirely different approaches. It's like when you've been on a set and there's a director, and the poor director's got to figure out how to talk to Lauren Graham and me, and we both like completely opposite ways of being talked to. Right. And so you quickly find out when you have a second kid that it's a, she's like a completely different person. The three-year-old's much like me. Any rule you give her, that's almost the that becomes the north star of what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, she just loves to break rules, and that's how she is. So it's like, yeah, learning how to outmaneuver her is a pretty full-time job. And what's interesting is I had Rob McElhenney on. Have you ever had yeah. him on? Yeah. So I love Rob, and he was discussing um, taking his oldest son to a kind of behavioral therapist. I don't even know if they took him, but he, they, he and the wife went. And the, and the therapist said, listen, you don't need to tell your son not to hit his brother. He knows that. He knows that. You don't need to tell him that. What he needs is you to be on his side in that moment and say, God, you must be so frustrated if you want to hit your brother because he already knows he's not allowed to. Tell me how that feels. Like, just always be on his side. He knows the rules. And just what if he hear... comes up with a really compelling reason for why he's doing it, then do the parents have to go, he's got us on a loophole. I well, guess. by the way, that would, best idea wins in my household. <laughs> I go, we get hoisted all the time by our own batard because if they make a good enough argument, I want to reward that. Like they live in a, they, li- they live in an environment where the truth is the truth, which mm-hmm. is hard as a parent. Cause if they, if I say there's no TV cause of blank, and they point out that that's inconsistent with the rule I established a month ago. I'll say, you're right, and I'm going to stick with that rule. So, so they do win arguments with me. I'll allow it. You have to. I'll allow it. You have to be a judge on a, on a crime. <laughs> yeah. I'll allow it. It stands. Sustain. <laughs> Sustain, yes. Yeah, so. You're free to go. And weirdly, um, McElhenney's background is he went to a Jesuit school. Oh, me too. You did too? Yeah. And the more, I've now had. More and more guests that have had that upbringing, and I'm very against parochial, is that what you call it? Religious-based school. It just in general, theoretically, I don't. I, I, I'm a secularist. So, But everyone I've had on that had a Jesuit education seems to be better because of it. Some people... And isn't I, there the I best do, idea I know, wins? I do know people... Well, yeah, I mean, but I also know people that had very bad experience. I mean, mm-hmm. I, just, I happen to have a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but is my understanding correct that if you make a compelling argument, you're, A, encouraged to question rules? I, I, I felt that way. I, I know people who 
had had, again, who had different Jesuit experiences, but I went to two Jesuit schools because we moved mm-hmm. partway through high school. We moved from, from Florida to Colorado. Denver to L.A. Oh, um, I got one of them right. Yeah, you got, you, were, yeah. you were, got half of them. Yeah, and I interviewed you like a year ago, so yeah, I'm so kind of impressed. That was February. <laughs> I guess that was February. But, um, but, uh, it, but what I remember about the Jesuit education is that they very much spoke to us like people mm-hmm. and not like that we were all equal and not down at us. Yeah. And also... Um, you know, we're just we're just sort of very open and seem to understand our vernacular and and yes, I mean there were certainly boundaries that you couldn't break and that was the tricky part. But you got a day in court, right? You, you did, but that was the tricky part was that when they spend a lot of time, you know, making you feel like you're on the same level, mm-hmm. then when you like violently break a rule yeah. because you think you you're you're in, yeah. and then you realize like whoa, and then you know sometimes the boundaries just come like crashing down, yeah. and then you then you learn. There's but, a little dissonance. At yeah, time but it wasn't time. like you know it wasn't it wasn't corporal punishment. But, it was like we just had to you know we had detention. But would you junk. argue though? Junk. Would you argue though that it was minimally just? Like that when you broke that one that reminded you of your place in the system, was at least the rule just? Because I think that's where it all lies. I think it was. I mean, I never uh, – it, it was – the trick is when you're – when you allow your students to talk very freely, mm-hmm. it's easy to get – Mouthy, sure. Because you sort of feel like, oh well, like you know, the priests swear, and I, you uh-huh. know, like they're mouthy, so I can be, yeah, you know. So there still is a little bit of separation, yeah. And then you just sort of learn to to navigate it. But I really like I I liked I liked it. I liked studying a dead language, Latin, um, and uh, you know, and I I liked that it was. I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed it. I I really did. I mean, yeah. When I have a kid, I mean, I don't know if I would force them to go to Jesuit school, I would probably, you know, like take them around and see what they liked. But also... Well, again, if you have... If and when you have kids and you have more than one, what's so fascinating is is there isn't a decision that works for the family. It's like, I can tell you right now that my oldest daughter should in no way be being taught the way my younger daughter is going to have to be taught. It's just so clear. There's no way that whatever system would work for the older one would also work on the younger one because they're opposites. Like the, the, the eldest loves rules, can't wait to um, do it exactly as uh, prescribed and looks forward to the positive result of that. The the three year old just an anarchist. She you know so there's no way. Well, I guess and and and, that, and it starts becoming obvious like why the education problem in the country is such a hard problem to overcome because you're not going to walk into a school and like lay down the system that works you know there's right. we're, we're all so unique and different we it's are hard. but i also think there's a there is that sort of middle ground because if you cater too much to every individual which of course we are all being conditioned mm-hmm. through you know through algorithms on the internet everything is personally catered to our every whim yeah then it doesn't really teach us how to fit into a community because we expect every community to, go to with wrap f- around us. Yep. And that's not a very realistic uh, expectation. I agree with you. And I have the same thought, which is, no, quite often in life, you just have to get with the fucking program. And my kids got to understand that. But I had recently this Harvard professor on who wrote a book called um, either The Failure of Normal or something like this. And basically, after studying many different things, one of them being cockpits of F-16s, that they had been created for the mean height. 
of an American, right? Male. And that when often when you create systems and products that are supposed to service the mean, you end up just statistically excluding the majority. Sure. So you're almost you're almost better off creating the plane for either tall people or short people because weirdly just numbers wise more people fall outside of the mean than they do within the mean. So there's all these counterintuitive things and his point cuz I said that about the classroom I'm like, "Well, kids got to get with the fucking program." And he said, "Sure, I I understand that, but when you look at that a second grade class is designed for the kids to read at a second grade level and you actually go in and look at the numbers, what you're finding is that almost half the kids are reading above that level and half are reading below. So it's failing everyone because the kids that are above it don't mm-hmm. want to read at that level and the kids that are below it can't read at that level. He's like, so all you're doing by get with the program is you're just leaving tons of people behind. That's just the reality. Well, but of it how depends on what works. the program is. If the program is defined as the mean, then yes. But, but but his his argument is like why isn't there variable instruction? We have the technology; kids could learn on an iPad. The iPad can assess quite quickly what a kid's reading uh, aptitude is. And that's then probably the, up the, to the teachers because I think it's also it's probably just enough for a teacher to manage oh. the students that they have, much less you know having to create individualized. They can't. That's right. clear. But 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 we have technology to create a system that can. It already exists. There's already a name for the program. It's just not being implemented. It's and called I, Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> and I totally agree with you. I can barely handle being in the house all day long with just two. I do, when I drop them off at kindergarten, I can't believe that humans willing to sit in that classroom with <laughs> 25 of them. It's it's really admirable. But let's talk a little bit about your Podcast because I want to hear what you've learned in this last almost year, you know. Because it you, again, your show grew meteorically. Uh, you have fantastic guests, and the depth of the conversation is great. And so, it having seen, having talked to you before, and then during, and then you know, now we're here. What have you learned? How have you evolved? And uh, what are you taking away from the experience? Well, let me start by saying. I am very used to working really hard for two years on a movie and then it failing. That's my experience. My association with hard work is basically three underwhelming movies. (laughs) So it's very foreign for me to put in much less time and to have my very first kind of hugely successful thing. I've never really been in movies that were hugely successful. I've never. So this is. The most unique feeling I've ever had. I mean, it blows my mind that so many people listen to it. But hourly, I have gratitude for it. Lucky for me, you were one of my first 10 guests, I think. And unlike me, I had the humility to ask you advice. And you gave me a couple of great pieces of advice that I have implemented not fully, but in the way that's safe for me. So one thing you said to me was, don't research. Your suggestion was don't research. I, I can't get there <laughs> because I always just think it. You know, if for some reason the magic doesn't happen, I have to get them to some milestones that hopefully will trigger something. So I have some sure. awareness, but but certainly I cut it by about eighty percent. And your theory behind why, which I thought was I, would, I had already seen was happening, was 
You research them, you find out this amazing story, they were attacked in a grocery store, you then try to lead the conversation to the story that hopefully they'll tell about getting attacked in the grocery store. You are no longer interested in the story because you're just trying to get them there. Right, it's like take check the point. moment. Yes. And so your, your argument was you're just far less interested if you already know what's going to be said versus being surprised. Like you have to open yourself up to being surprised and to let the thing flow. So that just takes confidence from having done it. So I do think, I think we've done 70 episodes now, and I think I've made just slow progress towards I have almost zero anxiety when I sit down. I'm now in a spot where I'm like, oh, something will happen. And you can roll with it. Yeah. And and, and I that has helped me, me talk less. Uh, also, when you did the show, we didn't edit. So... When you were on the show, anytime there was 12 seconds of silence, I'm panicking. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, you can't just have silence. You're not no. on, but it's different. You're not on stage. If you have 12 uh, seconds of silence on stage, it's you, death. You're dead. Yeah. You I should mean, just in a, walk like out. In, in, a, in an improv scene, you know? <laughs> yes. Or, or a sketch. You should, you should not hear 12 seconds of silence in any kind of performance arts and comedy. <laughs> so... Um, you know, once I incorporated that we edit, then the for me the pressure of having wall to wall stuff went down, and then I could get a less less controlling about the whole conversation, and that's helped a ton. But then we've you know we've started doing live shows, which is its own fun mm-hmm. thing that then requires another level of like, oh, it's going to go fine. Yeah. Here's somebody who's maybe never been in front of 2,000 people, but I'm just going to believe that they're not going to shut down in this situation because I'm going to try to what, lock that, into but them. But that's what you're there to do is, you know, especially with the live show, you're sort of half with the guest and half with the audience because you're playing to, you know, you're playing to the audience a little bit. A hundred percent. And it just creates a lot more energy. I think our first live show was Adam Savage, maybe. Okay. At Largo in like 2010. Uh-huh. And uh, it was really early on. I was like, oh, why couldn't we just go do this at, you know? Yeah. And we had a music, I think we had a musical performance and it was, it it created such a fun dynamic. And that's oh, when yeah. I realized like, oh, a podcast can be anything. Like it doesn't matter what it is as long as it's interesting to you. Well. It's good for the listener. My breakthrough is going to see Sam Harris and Steven Pinkerton. Pinkerton? Steven Pinker. At, uh, uh, is it? Kodak Theater right here at Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I went and saw Sam Harris uh, at Kodak Theater. Completely sold out. I think that's 3,500 people. Watching two scientists talk, you know, in a monotone voice about stats. Mm -hmm. And I was riveted, as were the 3,500 people. And I thought, well, Jesus, if this this podcast can be live, then I think ours can be. I mean, I have a – and you also get to think like – I do have some live stage performance experience in my 100%. background. But that's why it's great is that you're pulling every facet of your personality. Like your podcast is everything that you've learned up to that point in any discipline yeah. all pulled together. And the more specific it is, the more unique it is, and ultimately the more interesting it is, I think. So every facet of you... You're so right. It's like I got on that stage... Uh, I think our first show was at Largo as well. And I thought, oh, my God, it hasn't been since the Groundlings that I had this. I remember this push and pull with the audience and how fun it is to be dialed in with them. Yeah. You know, um, picking it up, bringing it down, all those things. It's so fun. And, yeah, 
to your point, the idea that the podcast somehow facilitated me being on stage in front of a ton of people is just like the happiest miracle of all of it. Because I, I 10 years ago, I was like, well, I'm, I'm not going to join an improv group. And I'm not going to join a sketch comedy group. I'm going to start doing stand-up. And I did that for a couple of years. And it was fun, but it wasn't kind of what I wanted it to be. And this, weirdly, is that. It is, and, it, and it's like any, you know, like any great job or any great relationship or any great anything, which is in your mind you think like, oh, I have to do something. And then it's but, – but then when it works, it's so effortless – that you almost don't you take guilty. it seriously. You feel you feel guilty, but you almost don't take it seriously because you're like, well, this isn't anything. This is just me fucking around. It's like, yeah, but it's effortless. Yes, you know, when you're in a good relationship, it's effortless. When you're in a good any situation, and it, it you're not doing, you're just so dialed into it that you're just being. Yeah, not to be corny, really but fun. like you're in flow. Uh, I would call it ubiquitous among successful comedians, which is there is this weird. Sense of guilt. I think it's why you see so many successful comedians go into drama because there's something about it being as easy as it is that feels fraudulent or like you don't deserve that uh, acclaim or the amount of money you're making or all these things. Like, I, I, for me, I on the outside diagnosed Jim Carrey with this, which is like the level of support and fandom that comes from him doing what he's done in a mirror his whole life. Um, probably felt like he wasn't working hard enough or something, or he didn't deserve that amount of money or those amount of fans. Maybe and- that's some of it, but I also think that the, the the transition of comedy to drama is that comedy, I think, is a deeper level of drama mm-hmm. because inside every joke, pretty much, is something tragic. Sure, you know, comedy is a defense mechanism, so it forces you to be more hyper aware uh-huh. of your drama, your trauma, whatever it is, yeah. and so. You know, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't define comedy and drama as two separate things. I think comedy is a deeper level of drama. But in the simplest terms, they hand out an award at the Oscars for the best <laughs> that's, actor. That's and, right. And it's never once gone to a comedian for. I mean, if anyone should win an Oscar, whatever year Ace Ventura came out, it should be him. He right. did something no human being can do. Literally, no. You can't recast Ace. No. In Ace Ventura, so certainly within the community, it's not being seen as something that warrants an award, right? Or that that you didn't go through this heartbreaking pathos to become Abe Lincoln like fucking our boy did. uh, Yeah, Dan Dan Lewis. Dan Lewis. Yeah. Dan. (laughs) (laughs) So. Abra Dan. I think a lot of successful comedians walk around with a little bit of like, oh, is this like, am I a fraud? Or is this, I I don't know. I I just feel like there's some level of guilt associated with getting a lot of reward for something that's very easy for you to do. I think most people who get a lot of reward have a bit of the imposter syndrome, regardless of what it is, because it's very difficult to imagine. Dan Lewis does? I think Dan, I think Danny has a little bit. (laughs) I don't know if Dan, I don't know if Dan has. I don't think he does. I think maybe he does not. Yeah. Uh, If I had to bet, let's just say. Unless he were playing a character with it and then he would fully immerse in it and then he would have it but yes. he is a person I think he probably doesn't have it but I think you know most people because it's very difficult to imagine ourselves in um, a, you know in that type of a scenario we we all have a comfort zone 
And whether you fall below that zone or you excel, exceed that zone, you know, people have an idea of what they think they deserve. And it probably goes back to childhood. And they probably would benefit from doing some type of EMDR to forgive their child, you know, to tell their their tiny self, like, you're enough. Because yeah. that's basically what I think we're looking for a lot of is just, am I enough? Am I enough? And if you could go back in time to tell tiny you, like, you're enough, yeah. you know, like, that would solve so many problems. But then maybe we wouldn't have great art. So maybe yeah. we need to not be enough to generate art to let other people know that they can uh, be enough. Well, the kind of great paradox of it all is I am someone who, at the same time, has this enormous sense of entitlement. <laughs> I think I could do any of this stuff. Like, I have, so what a sense of entitlement I have. And yet I have a self-loathing side that doesn't think I deserve any of the things I get. It's like I think I deserve everything. It's and the then cur- yet it's once I the get curse. It, yeah, I think I don't deserve any of it. So it can all be happening at the same time. Well, or and, – and then, of course, what I think – I just think – you know, I might be dead and, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll live another 30 years. Right. Maybe 35 years. Agreed. And so I'm starting to get to this point where it's not like I don't give a shit, but I guess I sort of feel like it's not going to matter. Like, you know, there's this sort of – and again, I think that's why I've been so interested in stoicism lately. It's just like – it's just that sort of like dust in the wind philosophy of like, yeah, you know what? Just enjoy your time. Enjoy the process of it. It's like it, the things that I'm stressing about, they're not going to fucking matter. And it doesn't matter – how many Disney collectibles I collect. Like, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to die. I will be dead someday and completely insignificant and yes. forgotten, you know? And and there's a weird comfort in that. I don't mind that at all. We're I just agree. a part of this machine, and that's fine. And so that that's very helpful. My saying that I hope I created that I kind of say to myself as a mantra is just like, we're just all monkeys trying to stay busy till we die. That's, yeah. that's really how important it all is. Yeah. We're just, if you were in a spaceship watching us, you'd be like, oh my God, how cute. They've made little cars they drive around. <laughs> Look, he thinks he's, they're all, they're thinks he's people. <laughs> they're all racing <laughs> to some place. And when they get there, they're doing what they think is the most important thing. Like, it would be adorable to oh. be viewing from above. He put a Wolverine in his house just to look at it, not to eat it, not yeah, to yeah. defend himself from it, just to look at it. Oh, that guy talks in, into a stick all day. And that's how he seems to have gotten all this stuff. Like, it, the whole thing is silly. Well, he he collected a bunch of stuff from one amusement park and put them all together a, in one space. Beautiful Adorable. waste of time. <laughs> yeah. What, what a, a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah. So How cute. I try to keep that in, a, in perspective. Or I had um, <laughs> I had Jay Leno on the other day, and he was saying that he uh, was in Vegas, and he saw three guys carrying an Elvis statue. And he said, uh, oh, well, where are you guys putting that up? And they said, no, no, we're, we're just, we took it down. He's like, why, why'd you take it down? And they said, oh, no one knows who Elvis is. Like, no 20-year-olds really know who Elvis is. And they took down an Elvis statue. Oh, my God. And Jay said, well, Jesus Christ. If what they don't know do who I have? Is zero. You have fucking zero chance if you're, you know, if an Elvis statue can't stay up. Uh, in fight him? What are the, in, that's, just how, that's just how it happens. You know, my mom's dog will uh he he vacillates between taking all of his toys 
out of the bed and arranging them in certain ways <laughs> and then putting them back in the bed. And it's just like – and we look at him and go, what an adorable weirdo. Yes. What a, what a dope. Yeah. And that's basically And then just, you proceed through your day doing the exact yeah, exactly. same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. We're all just – we're all just, you know, like playfully killing time, which is fine. To me, the, 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 like that sounds abstract, I think, if I were to just have heard you say that when I was 36. But I think for me what it's really – where the rubber meets the road is it's really uncoupling my ego and identity from all these things. Because that's the thing that as a human you will try to preserve at all costs. You'll go to war over that, your identity, you'll – you know – and so the less I think of myself as having a career versus I have a job, just that little distinction for me. A career is a very lofty thing, and, and you're going to evaluate its, its totality, and that's going to inform your narrative self. A job's a fucking place you show up and do something at. Yeah, it's a fun – this is a fun distraction that I get to do. 100%. Because the ego, the ego decisions – the ego decisions are the highest highs and the lowest lows. Mm-hmm. And when you make things – when you make decisions solely based on ego, they're usually the first things that get knocked down and the things that topple the hardest. Yeah. And they're the hardest to recover from until you just say like – You're also giving a lot of power to something you ultimately have. Zero. You know, a marginal level of control over. I'd now, say you zero have total control. control over how good of a husband you are, how good of a you're, parent that's, you are. That's stoicism. What you're talking about is stoicism. Like that's oh, okay. that, that, that you. Can I keep control. stumbling upon things that I find out are already things. Like I'm listening to this podcast, Leaving Nexium. Have you mm-hmm. heard that? No. Oh, it's so tasty. Have you heard of it? It's um, well, Nexium was this kind of self improvement thing, kind of like ESP or you know, Landmark Forum. And one of it's not a, it's not like a like a a, a GERD drug, a acid reflux drug. No, 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 no. Uh, that 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 there is one called next. Okay, this this is this is this was this a, is a program. Much different. Yes, this is a self improvement program read by this guy Keith Veneri or something. What you'll remember about it is that the lead girl on um, Smallville became very high up in it oh this is that thing yes. where the and guy they, just within got it, with, within nexium there was a sex cult called dos and she has been arrested and is being tried for sex trafficking as is keith and at any rate the podcast i didn't is realize that's what that was yes i've heard of that i've heard of and that. this per his main subject was in for 13 years and left so it's a great she's a great source of everything that really happens in there but all that to say when they're going through what the process of Nexium is, I'm realizing, oh, this is my total philosophy on but, life. But just not weaponized. Yeah, but your, yours yeah. isn't weaponized. Mine isn't weaponized, nor am I the leader of the, my thought right. process. But 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 I was shocked to go like, oh, that's so weird. That's almost exactly what I believe, and I didn't read it anywhere in a book. But they, I guess, they just came to the same conclusion. Well, there are, but there are some, but there are some. Things that are are timelessly true about humanity, and you can package them however you want, and add whatever sort of ornamentation or cup holders, you yeah, know, with yeah. religion or whatever it is. But when you strip it down, I do think the basics of it are, you know, don't be a dick. You can't control what happens in the world, but you can control how you react to the world. And those are the, ba- the those are the foundational elements I think of of most of most things. Yeah. But but it's just that. You know, we we do like to sort of complicate things and attach higher levels of identity to them. And so it's just all presentation and story. It's like what story – what story 
book path do you need to get to that same little town? Yes. And that's that's really what it is. Well, one of their most fundamental beliefs is that um, people can't make you feel any way. Right. Which I 100% agree with. I agree and with I, that, too. I battle with Monica quite often, my co-host, about that. Even if she'll phrase, like, he made me feel blank or that made me. I'm like, that's just not how it is. Like, that happened and then you felt a certain way because of your baggage. And well, the some, people, you, some people feel like their reactions are beyond their control. They react right. to something and go, well, I just... It's like, yeah, but you still... You set up the conditions to have that reaction. You allowed – you could have – the choice and was so fast. You, it was a micro you choice. You could follow a very specific plan to never have that reaction again. It's actually within you to do so because what you find you're really reacting to at most times is your insecurities. So, so I could stand in front of 200 people that were shouting at me all the time. You're a puny. You're a miniature little you're, – you're too short. Hey, shorty. It could go on and on indefinitely, but I have I mean, no I'm, fear I'm of being 5'10". short. I'm almost 5'10". I don't... Oh, okay. I thought you were. I'm 6'3". Okay, All right. Yeah, I have yeah. zero fear of being <laughs> short. So it doesn't really matter how many times you try to insult me for being short. It'll have no impact on me, but solely because... Not because I'm objectively tall. That's not actually it. It's because I have no fear of being short. Right. Uh, there are other things that you could just mildly suggest about me and I'll freak the fuck out because I have a big fear of it. Yeah, and it's also like where people are willing to sort of take responsibility for whatever. It's like, you know, when people try to do the, why, you know, I was drunk, so I don't know. It's like, yeah, but who made the decision? (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) who got you drunk? (laughs) You have to understand when you set up the conditions for something, then you... You laid the you set up the dominoes for that to fall down. Like yeah. if you're, you know, if you get uh, short with people, or you know, it's like, well, yeah, okay, maybe you were tired, but why were you tired? Was it because you, you know, stayed up late playing video games? And you did this. You made yeah. this choice. You made this choice. You made this choice. And so it's like you make these micro choices along the way that you don't even realize you're making because you, you just sort of you're set on autopilot. Yeah. And you're sort of you're led around by whatever is pleasurable to you it, in the moment. And that's that's where the power lies. And you should also just start by acknowledging to yourself that there are two variables in every equation. You're one of them. And mm-hmm. then there's someone else or there's 10 other people. And you must first acknowledge you're the only variable in any equation you have any say over. So you just have to admit that there's only one piece of the equation that you'll ever have the power to change, which is yourself. So just knowing that. I might have another quote for you. Oh, fuck. I just queued you up beautifully. You just queued me up for another quote. (laughs) Is this quote thing new? No, I don't I remember mean, it on my two previous. No, it was. It, it's not a thing that's going to be a thing. It's just that <laughs> we need to give this I, a name and package. I, I know. It. I know how philosophical you. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Someone's going to upset. Okay, here we go. This is Epictetus. This is Epictetus. Okay, uh, a pillar of Stoic philosophy. The chief task in life is simply this: to identify and separate matters, so that I can say clearly to myself which are externals not under my control, and which have to do with the choices I actually control. Mm-hmm. Where then do I look for good and evil, not to uncontrollable externals, but within myself to the choices that are my own? That is knocking it out of the park. What we were just talking about, knocking it out of the park, because I truly do believe that the solution that all things is. If you could somehow, by some miracle, get your self-esteem at 100% where you liked everything about yourself, 
anything you heard to the contrary would just have no impact. But let me ask you this. So to, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, do you think is 100% acceptance of yourself healthy? Is 100% acceptance of yourself healthy because... Meaning like, oh, I decided I like that I fart on trains. Well, like, just... <laughs> is that where you're going? Yeah, exactly. Like, just be a slovenly <laughs> asshole? Well, it's... <laughs> But just on trains. I don't know. It's weird. I just yeah. don't fart on Never any other forms elevator. of transportation. Nope. <laughs> None other. You put me on a forklift. No. Fine. Which is a form of transportation, I guess. Yeah. But um, In a pinch. But I just mean that uh, uh, just the idea that um, y- you can't control. I don't know. What, what did you say right before that? If you had 100% yeah, self-esteem. Yeah, if you had 100% self-esteem, would you ever – would you ever think that you needed to grow? Like, isn't it kind of good to be at about 80% with a 20% like, like constantly something to sort of work on? Or is that just an addict mentality? I think it's an addict mentality. And also assumes that our nature is to be terrible, you know, or to not grow or to not desire change. Just because you have 100% self-esteem does not mean you're not still on fire well, for new thoughts. It doesn't mean you you think your your line of thinking is is you've now figured it out and that's a wrap on that for no, life. But, now Marcus Aurelius once said, I'm just weave I'm just like I'm okay. just weaving this oh, right wow, in a conversation. Beautiful. Like, it never well, ceases. he says it never ceases to amaze me. We all love ourselves more than other people, but care more about their opinion than our own. 100%. And I'll also I'll flip that too. And this is something I just said in a meeting the and other day. It. And put my, put your damn thing in and reverse it. Uh, the opposite of that is, and I have to police myself on this all the time, is I often remind myself, oh, my God, you would never talk to a stranger the way you're talking to yourself. Absolutely. That seems so simple, but if you really pay attention to the shit you say to yourself and how fucking cruel we can be to ourselves, and just imagine that you're telling you're you're having that same reaction to some guy who's just been vulnerable and humble about a failing or a shortcoming. You would never go, you fucking piece of shit. I knew this was coming. You're a waste of skin. You go, yeah. no, you're a human. It's hard to do things right. And I think and- people forget that they do choose. Like self-talk is a learned. Like I think sometimes the voice that's in like the, the voice that, that sort of self-talk in people's heads, they just think is programmed. It's like, well, it's pro it's the pre-programmed no, yes, pre-packaged yes, yes, software. Yes, yes, yes. Can't do anything about it. It's just got a lot of bad pop-up ads, you know. That's true. Like yeah. like Windows and you know, two thousand one. Yeah, you almost and, feel uh, like that voice in your head is someone else's that you have no control over. Which yeah, obviously you're creating the thoughts. Yes, you are. So you to to realize that you actually can can redirect the self talk. I mean, it's not you know it. Sometimes it's easier than other times because we're emotional creatures and we are hurt and you know like we. Um, we, yeah, my argument is the times it's hard is when your self-esteem is in the toilet and when yeah. you feel great, it's not hard to silence that critic. But it's uh, – I notice you're in pretty good shape, so I imagine you exercise. I do. So you know – I think Muhammad Ali had a quote. Oh, my God. This is amazing. But I'm going to butcher this one. <laughs> Float like a butterfly and, and then sting it's... like a bee. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, – it had something – it was something in the neighborhood of like, you know, he does sit-ups to the point where they start hurting and then he starts counting. Because uh. you know that the, the muscle is being built when, when, you're, when you're starting to feel it. When you yeah. – at times of discomfort, that's when the muscle is being built. It's easy to go in and work out 
when you feel great and yeah. you've been eating great yeah. and everything's fantastic. Like, oh, this is easy. But the ones that count are when you feel shitty. You don't, you don't want to be there. You force yourself to go anyway. You push through it. That's where the growth happens. That's where, you know, like yeah. seeking, not going out of your way to seek discomfort, but just knowing that when you are uncomfortable, when you feel bad, when things happen, those are the opportunities for, for when, the most, when the most muscle happens, the growth yeah. happens. You just reminded me of, um, and I'm going to name drop right now. I'm not friends with him. I just happened to be somewhere. I got to talk to him for a while. But Matthew McConaughey, I just said to him, man, you have some constitution, don't you? I'm like, it appears to me that you party successfully, and yet you wake up in the morning, you like run 12 miles, and he goes, oh, yeah, some of my best workouts are breaking through. I'm feeling like <laughs> shit that first 40 minutes and then just break through. Those are my best workouts. Did you tell the story just to drop the impersonation? Because no, no. it was really – it was pretty solid it was, work. It was spot on what you were just saying. That, yeah. That you, that it's easy to go when you feel great. Yeah. But it's hard. And I just thought – So he creates well, th- the conditions guy, to feel shitty. <laughs> this guy, what a fucking constitution. And that he actually gets high off that. Like the worse he feels and then he breaks through and that's his thing. And I at what point thought, were you like, so I do a podcast and uh, – <laughs> <laughs> you have yet to do that in real life. My wife's great at that for me. Thank God. Oh, I, yeah. I have yeah. any, yeah. The guests that you are jealous that I've gotten, you shouldn't be jealous of me. You should be jealous of Kristen Bell. She'll just be <laughs> She's the soul play. of the podcast. She truly, and who's going to say no to Kristen Bell? Nobody. Not one person. Yes, and I, I can't ask people to do You're one of maybe nine people of 70 that have directly asked. I mean, like, you want to talk about Disney it. collectibles. You have an original edition Kristen Bell. <laughs> That's right. I do. <laughs> but even, and, and you, I only asked you because I'm like, okay, I've done his two or three times. Yeah. I don't feel too guilty asking him to do mine. But no. I need that. I need that. I need something like that. It's very, very hard for me to ask. But you know, but now, like you're at a point where you won't. You don't really have to ask anymore. I imagine people are pitching themselves. Or people are being pitched to you. That's so. happening. And then just like I find out through Twitter that some like Lena Dunham loves the show, which is awesome. And then if they love the show, then of course, then I'm like, well, why don't you come on? If and you also like it. because people feel safe with you because they know that you are basically a peer. And you're not there to make them look bad and they want to be able – I do believe and I think part of the reason why podcasting works so well is that most people really do want to be heard and understood and a lot of performers are not – before podcasts were just not given the chance because yes. they just did junkets. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm the not – The format yeah, never has lent itself yeah, to. I'm, I'm not just a you – know, I'm not just a – well, I guess I am a repetitive monkey, but I'm a more complicated monkey. Yeah, yeah. And I want to share these complicated monkey issues that I have. Yeah. Uh, There's also a thing on mine I think a little bit, which is I'm saying horrendous stuff about myself. And I seemingly haven't gone up in flames. So I think I'm setting the bar in a weird spot for the guests. Right. Where like, okay, well, I am going to admit something, which I wouldn't normally admit, but it's not nearly as bad as what he just admitted. Right. I think there's some kind of weird safety in that. Well, of course, because again, people, it, it's it's a sharing session. You, I don't think people feel like, you know, and it's why sort of early on in the podcast, you know, before the people who didn't want to listen fell away and then the people who were going to listen, listen, they were like, I don't give a shit about stories about yourself. You're a fucking ego. And uh. I go, yes, of course. Yes, I do have an ego and I appreciate what you're saying. But the truth of the matter is it does – like when you share things about yourself, other people open You have to up. meet people halfway. Yes, because then And I'm not going to edit out my side of it and then just act like they just jump to some crazy – 
you're just taking from someone. It's like you're taking, 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 taking from someone else. And a conversation, people need to feel like you're contributing so that they feel safe. And so they go, oh, I can relate to that. And here's my experience. And yes. so that, that it's not – you're not just using them to get – you know, a story or attention or whatever. Well, early on, I did get some blowback on Twitter and stuff from people saying, "Which is where that, most like, of the blowback happens yeah, in yes. the world." They That's where the blowback they is should kept. Rename it to blowback. blowback. <laughs> <laughs> I was blowbacking, which so, would be like yeah. tweeting. Yeah, I was blowbacking. Uh, so yeah, people said like, you know, shut the fuck up and let your guests talk. And then I thought, you know what? This is really maybe a failing on my part, which is I just need to be ultra clear. This isn't an interview. You're listening to a conversation with me and people, and I'm going to converse, and you're going to hear about me. It's not... And if you don't like that, then there's plenty of other podcasts. There's so many things. But I will say in their defense, there was a happy medium where a lot of those early shows, I did talk way too much because I was terrified of silence. Yeah. And it took a while to get comfortable. So, uh, So they were right... Yes. Some, and then I was right, some. But there was a, I think there was a happy medium where we kind of figured it out. I agree. I'm still inching closer to the right amount. Reminds me when I was a kid, and I... Oh, <laughs> and that's how the podcast ends. I just talked Well, you also minutes. start becoming aware of all your um, bad habits uh, as you do more and more podcasts. And which is what, what I've now... And it's what's funny is it's something that used to irritate me about Howard Stern, who's my absolute favorite in the whole space. He's my hero. I would get frustrated when he would... He gets jealous as a person, admittedly. And so every actor he'd have on, it'd be like, well, didn't it just make you so jealous when you didn't do that role and that person did it and they got an award like that? Because that's where his mind goes. Mm -hmm. And when they would say, no, I didn't get jealous, he almost can't believe it and goes back (laughs) for a third and fourth (laughs) run at it. And I do, I have now come to realize I do project a ton because I'm trapped in my own perspective. So if someone says something that would be triggering to me, of course, I'm like, well, didn't that piss you off or didn't that tri-? you know so you know there are these bad habits i'm becoming more and more aware of but at the same time another voice in my head goes um the goal should not be for you to be perfect at this this the goal should be whatever the, whatever you are i think be, a podcast is interesting when there's a journey and there's a journey you know for those of us especially you know those of us who've been through sobriety and are constantly like i gotta get better i gotta improve yeah. there is a journey of self-discovery that i think is sort of fun to listen in on you know and i Definitely think that if like evolving with the podcast, you know, well, let's say minimally that you you do have to evolve because you can't listen to the same thing endlessly. If it it never evolves and you even look at Stern, like, you know, my wife wouldn't even give him a chance because there, of course, was a period in his career where he threw bologna at girls' asses. So Mm -hmm. she was out, understandably so. If you listen to the show, hey, my eyes are up here. Throw bologna at my eyes. (laughs) Is that not? That would be the respectful thing to do is to throw baloney at the female's eyes. I mean, maybe that's just all she was mad about was the, the area was being thrown at. But, but I understand, I understand but what now, you're saying. But now, I mean, he's, he's, there's so little of that now. And I think it, it was the smartest thing he could have ever done is to not get locked. Because it would have been very easy for him to go, well, no, my audience likes that. So I'll lose them if I evolve past that. Never thinking, which was then proven to be true, is that those – Audience members are also getting older, and they're evolving, and their taste is changing. Well, it's and you just, just yeah. it'd be fraudulent or dishonest 
to, to, to deny how you're evolving. But also, yes, it's just, and, and again, that's just sort of being aware of where you are. And that happens in real life. Like people regularly are confronted with evolving out of friendships, evolving towards other friendships, evolving out of relationships. Like it's not a thing that's just happening professionally. It's like, it's a part of life is that you change and grow. And unfortunately, often the, the elements around you have to reflect that. Yeah, and it can be uncomfortable. Like For change sure. and growth can can be uncomfortable. It's like it's there's a reason, you know, like we it's called growing pains. It's not called growing pleasures. Growing boners. You're growing boners. <laughs> which was a great sitcom. <laughs> what kind of mixes growing pains and wasn't there a character named Boner on Growing Pains? Yes, yes, or yes, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yes, it was. It was Maybe that was, was a working a title. For it a was while. a working title. That was a spin-off. That was a spin-off. <laughs> this episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Uh, so what are you can are I ask you one more question you can ask me anything what are you, you watching right now um, show well let's see what are we watching well, obviously uh, Walking Dead um, what are, are we watching shows oh we watched uh, Haunting of Hill House which was great because oh, you like horror yeah we both oh. we love we love horror did we, you watch Castle Rock we watched Castle Rock. Uh-huh. We watched Castle. I'm not Rock. a horror person, but I got into that one. Yeah, Castle Rock was really fun, and we watch and I watch Cheers every every night. You know, there's 11 seasons, Three and a. the yeah. show never dips. It starts amazing and continues to be amazing the entire time. Um, For me, that yeah, that and Seinfeld are kind of the unicorns of like I, I don't understand how you keep that quality. I mean, it's it's. You know, it's a perfect concert of just, like, the writing, the directing, the acting, like, everything about it. Just Well, yeah, you're, or, or, oh, you're hap- you happen to, in one project, have the best multicam director of all time, Jimmy Burroughs, with one of the most charismatic leads of all time, Sam Malone. And everyone's great. With- and, 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 again, Ted Danson. And, and I have to tell you that a lot of people that I know... Uh, are saying you have to watch The Good Place. It's the fucking best show on television. Oh, People, yeah. the, the showrunner for Walking Dead, Angela Kang, we were talking about what we watched. Uh-huh. She was like, I fucking love The Good Place. She goes, I, I, it's just such an amazing yeah. show. And so... Well, even it, for me, who watches it, of course, every uh, Thursday when it comes on with my wife, um, what impresses me most is the storytelling. Like, Mike Schur is a smart motherfucker, as is that staff of writers. So even if it's not... Even when it's not my brand of humor, per se, you have to admire... Farting on trains. Storytelling. Yes, yes. Even no when they're not farting on trains. fart on trains. I keep <laughs> waiting. They've been on many trains in the show. Not one fart. Not one fart. But um, 
Yeah, the, the complexity of the story is, it, 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 well, you know, it's very, very rare that a comedy is serialized and that you are actually dying to find out what happens in the next episode. I can right. only think of uh, two or three that are like that. Like, Last Man on Earth, I love. Did right. you watch that show? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. And I found myself going like, oh, I can't believe I want to watch the next episode as badly as I wanted to watch an episode of Breaking Bad or something. Like, they've somehow infused that cliffhanger thing with comedy, which yeah. is fun. So what are you watching besides We just started Handmaid's Tale, which we were late on. Yep. Because I had watched the pilot, and it wasn't for me, I didn't think. It was just so bleak. Did you Have you watched it? My, I was out of town, and Lydia watched it without yeah, me. And I got home, and she was like, I already watched it. I'm like, fuck. And so now, you know, I feel like I'll have to watch it alone. It's incredible. I've not it, heard one bad thing about it. It's really incredible in in the way that they are subversively tackling a couple of huge modern day issues is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, both with like kind of misogyny and um and and they they trick you into understanding what it what it's like to be a refugee. It's really powerful. So I'll have to watch. I'll definitely you got to watch it. Yeah, and get get to the third episode. For me that's where it like took off. We watch Baskets. Okay. Which is great. Uh, what else? Um, Last Chance You. Do you watch that show no. on Netflix? Oh. So the first two seasons, it go, it's about a, a junior college, the first two seasons in Mississippi, where these extraordinary football players who have had really bad personal issues that have been kicked out of like top-tier colleges, and this is their second chance. If they don't do well here and graduate from this junior college, their football oh, dreams are over. There's a sports element and to I'm it, not even, I don't know. No, I'm not into football. It's so personal, these kids. It's so heartfelt and amazing, and um, you can't not like it. And then the third season, which I watched a couple episodes of, and I was like, it's a different school altogether and a different state. I'm like, eh, I don't like it. I liked all the old people. And then my brother just recently was like, you got to stick with it. And then I committed, and now I'm like, I can't That's what's mind-blowing to me about Netflix is that we'll find a series like, you know, the um, – Hangar Town. We're like, what the fuck is Hangar Town? <laughs> season five, like season five. <laughs> yeah, Where yeah, the yeah. fuck are these shows being yeah. made? You know, it's like yeah. there's so many shows that are like five seasons in. Yeah, that I that I have never heard of before. Well, the thing I feel guilty about regularly, Monica and I were just talking about this, is uh, because there's such a glut of amazing shows that I'm such a fair weather fan now. It used to be like when there was only like. Only The Sopranos, of course I'd get through three bad episodes to get to a good one, because what else was I going to do? Right. But I watched like the first season of Mr. Robot, loved it. I got two-thirds of the way through the, sec- the second season, first episode. I'm like, I'm out. That's it for me. I don't like the show anymore. Pulled the just, ripcord? I pulled the ripcord, and I've done that on like four or five shows that I loved the first season or the second season or whatever. And boy, if you lose me in one episode, I'm so I feel very shallow about it. You know, we're spoiled now and we anything are. that's not the most pleasurable thing to us in any given moment, we can just go find the most that's We're right. basically just in a giant candy store like, "Nah, this thing lost its flavor. I'm going to go over here to the, <laughs> the to the sour patch kids." 100%. I feel like like a like a bad like a fairweather sports fan, you know, yeah. one bad game and I'm out. Well, uh, new team, got to get a new team. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. suck this year. No, it's just one bad game. No, they suck this entire year. <laughs> I don't know. That's a little extreme. Um, so where what what else are you promoting besides uh, armchair experts? You're promoting armchair farts on a train. Farts on a train. I'm always pro farts on a train. 
Uh, I'm on the ranch on Netflix. Um, I come in midway through that series, and I think those I've filmed a while ago, but I think they're about to come out now. And they come out in blocks. I've never been on a Netflix show, so it's very interesting to know that you'll come out and like they could have seen the whole thing in an afternoon. Oh yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, oh, and I have a game show. That's what I want to talk about. We have the same boss. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Andrew Glassman. Yes, I love one of the I, nicest men in television. Uh, truly, I must have said this five times a day. I've never in my life had a nicer boss. He so with people on the wall, he stays in contact with all the contestants. Yes, he checks in. He makes sure they're okay. He wants to make sure they feel supported if they didn't win. Because we'll have conversations, and I'll, and I'll say, I, I was gutted that this one. Couple yes. didn't win. He goes, I've 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 been speaking to them. Uh-huh. They're doing fine. <laughs> yes. You know, like this this thing happened, they're happy, like they're good, you know, like and I'm so impressed by how much he Well, and by the way, care. this is a second time again, it's so hard for me to ask for advice. And weirdly I've asked you for advice twice this year. Yeah. You're in a very rare category of people I've asked advice <laughs> from because I'm such a know-it-all. But yeah, because I, I got approached to do his show, Spin the Wheel, which I did, uh, which I think comes out in January on Fox. Um, a game show like yours, preposterously huge scale, right. you know, like a five-story spinning wheel. You can win $22 million, the whole thing. And I called you and I said, you know... Should I do this? What do you think of this? And you walked me through all the pros and cons of it. And, you know, it was very helpful. And uh, and you had warned me it can get heartbreaking. Like, yeah. And, and, and boy, is that true. Yeah. Because I mean, you spend two and a half hours with people in this crazy heightened state. And they're only bringing you people that are 20 times better than you are. As of a course. Person. I mean, yeah. literally this guy, like, was driving down the road. There's a train crashed on an overpass he crawls through the train and pulls out 22 people and now i'm next to him and i'm like i'm a piece of shit yeah yeah. (laughs) you know what i do think fast that's my entire contribution to the planet earth is i think fast i'm charmingly arrogant that's my superpower and you actually have a superpower and so yeah when you're with these people and it's getting so close to them either winning this fortune that's going to change their life or not hey boy it's a ride yeah and also you know just remembering that they're people like they're, they're humans, humans and you can talk to them and it doesn't have to be like let's see what's behind them. You know, like you can actually just talk to them like people and learn i, I I love doing the wall because I love learning from people, like you said, who are twenty times better than I am. Yeah, and just and trying to absorb their positive energy. And, and mine's almost always even, even. It's even rooted in evil, which is like I'm so cynical. I'm like, what kind of person would do this extraordinary thing? My first thought is. Well, they've killed somebody, and they want to <laughs> repent. I think it's you know. That, that, I think that's where we differ because I'm definitely yes. not cynical in that way. And I and I'm I, a misanthrope, and you are not. And that's I, the I, defining it, difference. It makes me happy, and also you know, it's just it's nice when the world feels so toxic out there. Again, I almost feel like I have appropriate expectations, and yours are high, and you're let down by humanity. I can well. I I'm shocked when someone does the right thing, and you're like, yes, of course, that's what they should do. And I'm and I'm shocked when people do horrible things because it's inconceivable. Like it, you know, when if someone says something really horrible, it's like, why would you say that to a person? Yeah. You know, like it. And I go, oh yeah, that's what people. That's what say. people do. Yeah, yeah, he did exactly what I expected. And I do the exact opposite. I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah. So I wonder if the some result of it though. But is- I'm 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 also, I'm also like 
trustworthy to a fault. It's really easy to pull shit over on me because uh-huh. I just believe people when they tell me things. Yeah, and yeah. it's very easy to lie to me because I go, oh, well, they said, you know, like, so yeah. why would they, why would they do something that's not what they said? You know, like, right. so right. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I guess there's pros and cons to both. Maybe it's, maybe what we need to do is come together like, uh, like the alien station from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. And we'll just find like, that's our, we're the perfect co-pilots. Yeah, the yin and yang. Yeah, and yeah. then we smash together for the stereoscopic vision. Right. Because, you know, you're very cynical, and I'm like, yeah, you Well, know, I'm still waiting for you to call me for advice. I guess I, you just haven't recognized my genius yet. Well, or or maybe I've been digging it out of you this entire time, <laughs> and I just didn't Something say Something tells me, me advice. when you have kids, you, I might get a call from you. It's a, it's a never-ending lesson in flexibility. So uh, your podcast is... I'm crushing right now, and you you have all these amazing things coming up. I'm excited to see your. Uh, I'm excited to see the show that you did with Andrew for Fox, right? It's yeah, Fox. and let me just again, if I wasn't clear enough, I love you, Andrew, and you are the sweetest boss I ever had, and I wish you were my boss on all things. I really mean that. I love that guy. Yeah, he's a he's a genuine. He's the real I deal. Our lives are becoming so parallel. It's really ridiculous. Because how many people have a big event game show they host? It's a very select few people. Well, you still like I'm still. You still We're doing to, almost the exact same things. You you still have to do an after show for a scripted drama. Okay, I'll do it. And, I just uh, gotta find one that I mean, you want to talk about a fucking niche. <laughs> I mean, what? You a gotta niche. host uh, the better place, which is the good place after show, where or the bad place. The bad place. Yeah. I think I'd most You'd appropriately host the bad be place. the host. Of, yeah. <laughs> I think if people saw me as the face of the better place, when Ted and Kristen are the the, the bad place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The bad place. Yeah, yeah me and Adam could host that. Uh, well, thanks for coming over. Yeah. I mean, we, you live very close. We never really get to hang out. Never. It's dumb because you, we could walk to each other's houses. Sincerely, there's no easier appointment to keep for either of us than one another's podcast because they're within a thousand feet. And let me tell you, I appreciate that you were on time because sometimes when things are really close, oh, it's easier to be late. I am most late to things I'm closest to. Because well, I'll be on the to- – like right now I'm shooting The Ranch. It's at Netflix. Netflix is eight blocks from my house. So I'll literally be on the toilet on, on – uh, <laughs> And what are we calling it? Blowback. On right, blowback. On blowback. Looking at the time and I'm like, all right, 9.58. <laughs> I have to be there at 10. I'm still looking great. <laughs> and I'm I'm mid-dump. How are you 20 minutes late? You live. I'm like, I'm golden. I can get to work in two minutes. And in reference to blowback, I believe it was Cato who said, <laughs> I begin to speak only when I'm certain what I'll say isn't better left unsaid. Oh, a delightful way. Thank you for sending me home on that. I'm going to take the badger. Yeah, you can and, take the. Uh, take... I'll return it after the holidays. Yeah, please do. Go th- take home a holiday. I think that guy's begging to have a wreath around his neck. <laughs> he he wants a wreath, and he wants uh, he wants like a ham leg, and I think he well, was going to say you should do a wreath, and in the wreath are like severed fingers and stuff. Oh, that's a great idea. Because that's what he wants to eat. Your Lydia fingers. probably ordered something like that on the internet. <laughs> she may. We do have a Halloween tree that she puts up, so there is probably a severed finger wreath. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you kept there. her hidden from me. By the way, that was smart. <laughs> She's not here. I, well, so you say. Yeah. She's with Miskevich's wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hardwick. The I love end. you. All right, Dex. That was the ID10T podcast number 1035 with Dax Shepard, <laughs> going up extraordinarily late. Uh, which, of course, I explained in the beginning of the podcast. It's time for Idiot Rap. ID10T Rap. I'm going to settle on a name. It's going to happen. I'm just going to start calling calling it something, and then that's ultimately what it's going to be. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we talk, also I have a little, I'm fighting a cold. I'm on the edge of that holiday seasonal cold. Guys, do you know it's dropped down all the way to 53 degrees in Los Angeles? How does anyone survive such extreme temperature changes? I know, we have no resistance to, uh, to uh, weather elements here in L.A. So I acknowledge this, but I also say, like, it does feel cold as fuck here. Anyway, um, Dax and I were talking about how you, when someone says something shitty to you, how you how a lot of times we choose to be hurt by things, we choose to uh, feel bad about stuff. And I just, I thought it was an interesting point to clarify. Also because, you know, look, there are certainly extreme situations. I mean, if someone comes up to you and is like, you're a dumb piece of shit and everything you do is failure and fuck you and fuck your family, of course that's going to make you feel bad. You would have to be made of rock for that not to make you feel bad. Or, you know, if someone steals your dog, yes, you're going to feel bad about that. There are certainly instances where you're going to feel bad. So I don't think the idea is like, you can choose to never feel bad about anything. I don't think that's very realistic. I think we're sort of just talking in general terms about, you know, a lot of things that stick in our brain that we kind of beat ourselves up about. So I I do want to talk about just sort of in general, like, well, what do you do when, you know, something really bad happens and you feel bad about it? Um, I've been enjoying this uh, a subreddit, which is our mindfulness, which is exactly what it is. It's just sort of mindfulness. And I throw it in there with my get motivated and stoicism and all the all the fun uh, brain ones and uh, that I that I read on, on Reddit. But I really sort of like the idea, and you see this theme recur a lot in mindfulness, which is, you know, rather than fighting the feelings that you're having, you acknowledge them, and you sit in them, and then you allow them to pass. Sort of like what Kristen Bell was talking about last week, where she allows her kids the, um, she allows them to sort of sit in their embarrassment for a minute and then move on. Like, okay, we had that moment, now everything's, you know, now everything's okay, you learn from it. So... In those moments where someone steals your dog or someone says the worst things imaginable to you or something, you know, like really bad happens, you know, it's over the long haul, over the long term, trying to make choices that don't let you sit in it as long, you know, over the weeks and months and years. Because, you know, like shitty things like that can replay in your head over and over and over again. And so maybe it's allowing it to happen, allowing it to pass, and then when it keeps trying to come back and make you feel bad, just choosing to have other thoughts or move your focus elsewhere. I was having lunch with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, and he said something so brilliant. He's a bit older. He's in his 70s, so he's got some wisdom under his belt. And he said to me, um, never put a period at the end of a negative sentence. And I just thought that completely changed my outlook. Because he said, when you put a period at the end of a negative sentence, negative self-talk, then it's a thing that your brain can sort of build an argument around. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. When you, when you kind of have ne- a negative self-talk thing and you put a period on the end, the period sort of makes it definitive and then it starts to solidify. When it starts to solidify, your brain starts giving you all these examples to justify that sentence. So maybe just don't put a period on these things. You know, when you have bad feelings, you can feel them, you know, 
you can you can feel them and it's natural to feel them no it's not going to last forever no there's not a period on the end of it and when it starts to go on and on then maybe just try choosing to think about something else choosing to have a different spin on it choosing to see like what did i learn from this you know i mean obviously there are extreme situations it's not always going to work maybe in every situation and that's okay too but uh i'm just trying to give you as many little inspirational tools as i can so that you know at least you can cut out a percentage <laughs> of the negativity you might be experiencing between your ears so that is it for today i as always i appreciate you i hope you're navigating the uh weather changes in your region seriously like the rest of the I do feel bad complaining about 53 degree weather. Like the the rest of the country is really have it's is like an ice forest right now. So, uh but I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I do appreciate you and uh I will see you in your ears real soon. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.